Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. In one sentence, would anyone like to raise your hand and, and say, who is Prabhupada to you? And, and Yeah, go ahead. It's coming. Hare Krishna. Uh, our group kind of this... Prabhupada is the most caring and compassionate, bold preacher of Krishna consciousness and guide as our loving grandfather. <laughs> Thank you. What's your name, Pro? Abe. Abe. Anyone else? Thank you. Yes. Over here. one sentence, uh, I would say there is no other example in the world uh, as Prabhupada, a living example for love of his guru. Yes. The way he, in his whole life, is a presentation of, uh, you can see the love he has for his guru, yes. his Thank whole you. life. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. So, anyone from this side like to say? Yes. Thank you. I think we had three different, maybe slightly different, but complementary visions. Um, one was that he's a loving, caring, forgiving grandfather. One was that he's um, like a, a representative of Krishna who's been sent by him. Uh, and the third one was um, somebody who was a living example for every type of person, every type of um, um, character. And the savior. <laughs> Thank you. Hare Krishna. One more. Yes, Mataji. Thank you. Yeah, also Prabhupada had for me a unwahrscheinliche Überzeugungskraft. Ach so, du musst übersetzen vielleicht. Du musst übersetzen. Yeah. Um, she had, he had a um, big. He had a big power to convince people. He could convince uh, every reporter that uh, interviewed him. He wrote uh, the Bhagavad Gita in a way that everyone uh, who reads it can understand easily what's in there. In every lecture he gave, he uh, 
stepped back, uh, his self uh, stepped back so that he could give through the message from Krishna and his guru. Thank you. It's clear that um, everyone does have a relationship with Prabhupada and it's um, very affectionate. And um, I wanted to tell a few um, Prabhupada's pastimes that I personally witnessed and some of them participated in. And some of them were Prabhupada on the Vyasasan. And sometimes on the Vyasasan, he wasn't in the mood of a loving grandfather <laughs> at all. He was, he was a lion. And then some in the mood, when he was in the mood, um, private, more private, and he was that caring, loving um, father, grandfather that we all sort of long for. <laughs> but he was a lot of things, and he was very intense. And I would say the, 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 common, the common element that crosses the boundaries of, of all the different moods of Prabhupada, Prabhupada the lion, Prabhupada the, the kind grandfather, Prabhupada the, the compassionate um, savior of, of, of his disciples and, and, and the author, was his, this kind-hearted devotee said, and observant is that Prabhupada really was a servant of his guru. And that, that was common in going across every aspect of Prabhupada. There's one lecture that I heard um, where in, in Mayapur, I think it was in 1976 in Sridhar Mayapur during the festival, and Prabhupada, um, <laughs> he seemed to be very, he was angry at something something uh, that it seemed that he was angry at something that one of his god brothers was doing and he was speaking so strongly and he was saying that if you want bricks and mortar in other words he was talking about buildings Krishna will give you bricks and mortar. <laughs> but if you want to serve, and that's what you want, Krishna will give you service. But he didn't just say it in a, in a preaching way. He was on fire. And that really defined Prabhupada. He wanted service. He knew what his mission was. And... He knew, it's clear to me, that Krishna was empowering him because of that sincere desire to serve Srila Bhakti Sinanta Saraswati Thakur. And he was going to take that empowerment and whatever Krishna gave him, whatever Krishna was giving him, whether it was money or men or scientists or farms or whatever Krishna was giving him, land in Mayapur, he was going to expand that and expand that as long as Krishna gave him life and as long as Krishna was giving him energy and as long as Krishna was giving him facility, he was going to use that in the service of Srila Bhakti Sinanta Saraswati Thakur and, and the um, Guru Prampara and 
Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu and ultimately in the service of Radha and Krishna. He went in the Philippines to give you an example of, 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 of Prabhupada's mood, how expansive it was. In the Philippines, once myself and Jagatuni Mataji, my, my wife, were just sitting alone with him, which was a, a very rare occurrence. And it was before a program um, where there were going to be hundreds of people present. And he was, he, was, he was just sitting and he was talking about, because my, my wife was an, was an actress before, so he was using technical terms that only actors and actors, like the green room and this and that, he was speaking to her like that. And then he, he picked up this little flag, wooden flag that was there, and he just, I think Bresby Hari may have mentioned this, um, and it broke. And he just laughed, just in a simple way, he just laughed. And in that laughter, there were, there were hundreds of purports, and, and, and he was, what we, we heard in that was, just see the nature of the material world. You touch it and it collapses, it's undependable. But he didn't say anything, he just laughed in this wise, grandfatherly way. And then he said to us, and it was just the two of us, little devotees in his room, and he said, it is my desire that everyone in the universe, not the world, everyone in the universe becomes Krishna conscious. You please help me fulfill that desire. What a vision. And in that vision, there's certainly room for everyone to, to have one little part perhaps, or some, some devotees more empowered will have another part. But there's room for everyone to do something, something whether it seems big, whether it seems small, and practically speaking, no one can do anything big after what Prabhupada did. We can only do, make our small contributions. But there's room for everyone in that. And it was all in the mood of service to Srila Bhakti Sinanta Saraswati Thakur. Once, uh, and this, this one I wasn't, I wasn't, part, I didn't participate with, but one of my very old dear friends and university friends, Trivikram Maharaj, raise your hand if you know Trivikram Maharaj, yes. Oh, I'm from Poland, yes. So he, so he, we, we joined together, but then he became Prabhupada's servant and was with Prabhupada a lot in, in England. And, and Prabhupada had just given, the, the night before, given a very strong class. And Srivikra Maharaj is he's very, he's a special person. And um, he was massaging Prabhupada. And he was, this is what he told me, his mood, Srivikra Maharaj's mood was that he was, it was like a fight. Uh, and, and, it was, um, and he was in Prabhupada's corner in between the rounds of the, of the, of the um, fight. And he was Prabhupada's, um, uh, in his round, and he was preparing him for the next round. So he was saying, Prabhupada, you were so great. He's massaging him. You would, you know, you go out, you really smashed him and this and that, and you're really so wonderful. And he's massaging Prabhupada. Finally, Prabhupada said, stop. I am simply a servant. So in certain moods, 
and to teach certain things, Prabhupada was like fire. And at other times, when it wasn't required in the service, he was like a lamb, so gentle. Once in, um, in Japan, I had, um, in 1972, and that's, that's how I, I, I got relatively quite a bit of absolute association with Prabhupada, um, because we did dangerous things for him. And we, we went all alone in, in Asia. When, anyway, those are whole long stories. But um, so I, I went to Japan with Srila Prabhupada, actually traveled with him to Japan. And, and there was a program in Kobe, which is a port city. And it was a program that someone had promised that maybe if they, uh, an Indian merchant, Kobe's, and in, there's a lot of Sindhi cloth merchants there, so they had promised that maybe they would give us a temple if the community was sort of pleased with us. So as we were going down, I'll have to make the story short, it's quite interesting, but it's, I can go on and on about it. But um, on the same program, As Prabhupada was speaking, they had also invited a Mayavadi sannyasi to speak, a typical bearded Shanti, 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 Mayavadi sannyasi. So we knew, we knew there was going to be a drama, a pastime was going to unfold when we heard about that. So as we were traveling on, on the bullet train, um, I was sitting next to Prabhupada and and, um, and Banu Maharaj, who was then a brahmachari, he stood up, he was sitting opposite Prabhupada, and he, so he, and he stood up so Prabhupada could put up his feet on, on the seat opposite. But because this train was traveling so fast, and in Japan you're not allowed to break any of the rules, it's not at all like Bharat Ma Mata. <laughs> um, especially in North India, I've seen. <laughs> They're more on the spontaneous platform. <laughs> but anyway, the conductor came and said, you're not allowed to do that. And, um, and they asked me to be the one to tell Prabhupada that he had to take his feet down. <laughs> so I said, um, Srila Prabhupada, and the conductor said that um, you'll have to remove your lotus feet so that the, so that the, um, I was trying to say something, you know, because <laughs> what do you say to Prabhupada like that? So Prabhupada just responded, I will move my lotus feet so that the lotus-like devotee can sit down. <laughs> he was just, he was just, he was, he was completely clear consciousness, completely sweet, but then, on the night of the program, there was, um, it was in a, a, a Sindhi type of a hall, which I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the Sindhi community. They very much Punjabis and they worship Guru Granth Sahib. They're very, they're very much like the Sikhs because they have to live together. So um, they just had one big asana where where the person, whoever is reading the Guru Granth, the book, sits. Because after the 10th Guru, Guru Govinda Singh, who was martyred, which is a polite way of saying murdered, 
Um, they didn't want to put any other gurus, so they had, um, they just, the book became Guru Granth. You know all that? Yes. So, so anyway, we tried, we, we, we wanted Prabhupada to sit on this asana, big asana. Mm. And they were saying, no, 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 no. And we would say, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and they were saying, no, no, no. And Prabhupada's so elderly, he's so famous, mm. you should let him do it. No, 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 yes, 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 yes. So eventually we convinced him, the, the, the person who was the wealthy person who might be donating to the temple, that Prabhupada could sit there. So he sat up on the asana and the Mayavadi sannyasi came in and the, the room was perhaps um, this size and there were hundreds of hundreds, 500 people, all Indian, Indian-bodied people sitting there. And they all had come to see the famous Hare Krishna Swami speak. And the Mayavadi sannyasi came in and and um, he was sitting on a chairs, one chair in the corner, and and um, this was the Hare Krishna movement in 1972. So, um, so he, we asked, we told the organizer that they had to give Prabhupada um, a garland. So he gave us money to buy flowers, but it was only. But he said, "You have to make enough for for the Swami, the other Swami." To we said, "We said yes, yes, we do that." So, but there was only enough for one garland. So you'll never guess what we did. We made it for Prabhupada, a nice garland, and we thought it would be so nice for the Mayavadi Sannyasi. He'd be so fortunate if he got Prabhupada's remnants <laughs> from the day before. So we went to the Mayavadi Sanyasi, we put it on him, and what he, of course, he has to go like this. You give him a calling. And then Prabhupada, from the previous day, yes, was Prabhupada's remnants. <laughs> so, um, so Prabhupada, we, we said that Prabhupada has to speak first. He's senior and everything. So Prabhupada, we helped Prabhupada stand up on the Vyasa Sun. And then, and then he began speaking. So of course, with the Mayavadi sannyasi there, what is going, what is Prabhupada going to speak about? He's going to criticize Mayavad philosophy, etc., etc., etc. So he spoke for a half hour, and there's about eight, or at most eight, seven of of Western disciples there. And Prabhupada was trying to get us to be able to recite Sanskrit verses. This was 1972, and none of Padumya. Prabhu was there, so he was trying to teach us how to recite Sanskrit verses, but we weren't doing very well, but we had kirtan. So Prabhupada was speaking against Mayavadi philosophy. He was speaking in English. And most of the people could understand English, but the Swami, the Mayavadi, could not. So after Prabhupada spoke, the organizer the person who we had to please to get the temple came up to help Prabhupada get down from the Vyasa Sun so the Mayavadi could get up on the Vyasa Sun. And Prabhupada refused to get down. <laughs> <laughs> one would say he was bold, one could also say he was outrageous, <laughs> but he was a servant. He refused to get down. And he tried again three times, and Prabhupada refused to get down. 
So, so what could he do? So he said, yes, yes. So we brought the microphone over to where the Mayavadi was supposed to speak. <laughs> and so the Mayavadi was in his chair and oh, <laughs> you know, and then he began speaking in Hindi. And none of the Prabhupada's disciples could understand Hindi. But he began speaking and Prabhupada, of course, spoke Hindi and understood Hindi. So he just sat on the Vyasa sun, just chanting on his beads, going like this, with his eyes closed. And we, young devotees, couldn't understand Hindi, so we just sat in front of Prabhupada and closed our eyes. <laughs> so for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half hour, the lecture went on in Hindi. And suddenly Prabhupada opened his eyes and looked at us, us meaning these six, seven, eight devotees, and said, stop him. <laughs> and oh, are you recording this? <laughs> okay, I won't say what I thought. <laughs> And but we didn't know what to do. How do you stop a person who's giving a lecture in the midst of 500 people? But how could we not? Because Prabhupada said, "Stop him." He looked right. He looked right at me and said, "Stop him." <laughs> I had a pair of cartels in my hand, and I won't say any more. But then he saved us by saying, "Start kirtan." So in the middle of his lecture, of the sannyasi's lecture, we just stood up and started kirtan. <laughs> this was the lion, Prabhupada. And then after the kirtan, and we, and none of us could sing either. We all had terrible voices. There was neither a Krishna Chaturmaraj or a Mahatma amongst us. So it was off key. But <laughs> But we were enthusiastic, <laughs> and Prabhupada just sat there. And then after the lecture, he immediately, Mayavadi finished, Prabhupada got down and left. And we had no idea what had happened. Prabhupada had le lectured for, he heard the lecture for 30 minutes and suddenly stopped him. So we stayed around. Banu Maharaj took, served Prabhupada and took him back to the apartment and we and we stayed around and tried to distribute books and people couldn't relate to what had just happened. So after we finished, the program was finished, we quickly um, got in our car and went to where Prabhupada was staying and ran up the steps and Prabhupada was sitting there drinking milk, hot milk. And I remember quite clearly there was a, a light on him and the room was otherwise dark. And we came in, we rushed in, paid our obeisances and asked him what happened <laughs> because none of us could speak Hindi and suddenly Prabhupada stopped him. So Prabhupada began to tell us and he looked so, with the light on him, he looked so pleased with himself <laughs> and the, 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 the metaphor that came to my mind 
was like he was like a, a cat who had just caught a mouse <laughs> and was purring in self-satisfaction. <laughs> and then he, so he started explaining that first he was preaching all right, which means that Prabhupada didn't do it in a fanatical way. And this is what struck me as the most amazing part of this, I would call a pastime or leela of Prabhupada's. He said, then he began speaking Panchupasana philosophy, where there are five different gradations of demigods. And he explained one by one, because we had no idea what that was either at that time. And then after explaining the five different kinds of demigods, he explained the top was Vishnu. And then Prabhupada said, he explained that beyond Vishnu was the impersonal Brahman. And Prabhupada just looked at us and said, when he said that, I could not tolerate it. It wasn't a, even a philosophical point. It just gave him pain. It was like someone criticizing your most beloved, someone who you love with all your heart, and someone criticizes him, and he could not tolerate it. It was, a, it was a lover's reaction rather than a philosophical dispute. And then he just smiled. He was drinking his hot milk and his cat-like mood and said, I'm like a lion when I'm out and like a lamb at home. When he was out, he was really like a lion. And when he was um, reacting intimately with his devotees, he also had different moods. Sometimes he chastised and we all think that's romantically very nice. Oh, because Prabhupada said, I love, uh, my, my Guru Maharaj chastised me, and it's so nice. But I got really chastised. And believe me, it wasn't nice at all. It was, it was I don't know what to, how to describe it other than it was terrible. It was horrible. You, the person who you were trying to please was really upset with you. And it, he, when he got upset, he got upset. He wasn't always shanti, 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 shanti. But that upsetness vanished immediately. And there's so many pastimes of this. I remember one that Rivati Nandana um, had told. Um, it just, he was angry at the devotees at the manor for something they had done improperly. And that the devotees felt so bad that they went to him um, they told him, will you please go and apologize to Prabhupada? And they knocked on, he went up and knocked on Prabhupada's door, and Prabhupada opened the door himself, and he was, there was no anger. So he asked Prabhupada, uh, he couldn't say, you're not angry anymore, Prabhupada, because then, why? Because he couldn't, he couldn't talk so directly, so he very intelligently said to Prabhupada, um, sometimes a pure devotee may become very angry, but then in the next moment his anger has disappeared. Why is that? And Prabhupada answered, 
because any type of emotion on that level, I'm paraphrasing, is only on the surface. And he is deep. And that's really the key to Prabhupada or any of or any great devotee, Prabhupada's followers, or, and it's a matter of depth, and it's depth of absorption. When Prabhupada in 1968, perhaps, was walking with the devotees in San Francisco by the ocean, it was the Pacific Ocean, and he asked, why is the Pacific Ocean peaceful? And the devotees didn't weren't able to give the answer that he was looking for. And he said, because it is deep. So there's a, it's a good way to judge our own spiritual life and the depth of our own spiritual life, the depth of our own spiritual absorption is how we go through our day and how much do we get disturbed by how we go through our day. It's, it's, um, it's in a an assessment, so to speak. Our life, if we're a bit introspective, our own life, our own life's experience is a continuous assessment of our Krishna consciousness. If we look at it in that way, our detachment, our happiness, our, our satisfaction, and, and how much our fate, as it rolls in, to us like the ocean waves roll in. How much does our, the, the difficulties of life, um, how much does it knock us over? Or how much do we see that somehow or another, unpleasant as this experience may be, there's some mercy from Krishna in it. And our, and our life's experience turn us to Krishna as opposed to away from Krishna. Sometimes when something happens to me that I don't like, especially if you've been married for 53 years, these things do happen, um, I get angry. And I get angry not only at my wife or others who may be in my way, but I get angry at Krishna. So then I can understand that, that Krishna Vule says, there's something quite wrong in my consciousness. Something quite wrong. Not only not deep, but some wires are crossed <laughs> in how, I've, uh, how I'm viewing reality. So, um, I don't want to go off on too great of a tangent here, even though it's an interesting tangent. Um, Prabhupada was deep, whether he was on the Vyasa sun or off the Vyasa sun, whether he was in the mood of a lion or in the mood of a lamb, he was deeply, fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness. Um, I had traveled with him another time in, um, when he, the last time he came to Australia, 1976, and then, and then to Fiji, and then Hawaii. 
and um, I was fortunate to get to spend time with him. And then after that, I left Prabhupada and went to Los Angeles, and then I went to Dallas. And in Dallas, anyone know the names of the deities in Dallas? Radhakalashanji, yeah. So they're big deities and installed by Srila Prabhupada himself. And I, and it was, and someone asked me if I would um, put the deities to sleep. And um, at one night, and I had never done any deity worship before, on a, a, a full altar because I had always been in different parts of the world, um, in Asia. So I prepared myself, I got my instructions, and the moment I walked onto the altar without any premeditated thought, the, the exact mood of Radhakalachanji, who are very Vrindavan sweet deities, the exact mood I recognized as the mood, the, the ambience, the mood that was exactly the same as being around Prabhupada. So at that time I understood what Prabhupada's secret was. Secret in the sense that he was always carrying that mood of Vrindavan with him. He was always in Vrindavan. And because he was in Vrindavan, when you entered his association, it was like entering a bubble of Vrindavan. And because it, would, it had that, such a sweetness to it that um, in my um, not objective opinion is, is the sweetness is, is just part of what Vrindavan is, fog or no fog. There's just some atmosphere in Vrindavan and there's a reason for that, but um, why it is the way it is. Um, but that atmosphere, that, and it's, a, it's consciousness very much, is what we are meant to carry with us all the time. It's got to do with loving service to Sisi Radha and Krishna. And in, in this specific mood of this specific place, Vrindavan. And it has that sweetness, Vrindavan, and Prabhupada carried that sweetness with him, whether he was on the Vyasasana, off the Vyasasana. He was carrying, he was in Vrindavan. It's a matter of consciousness. So when I get knocked over by the waves of my fate, then I can't be in Vrindavan. And that is dangerous. And it's not, and it not only is dangerous, it's unsatisfying to me, the person, the soul, me. So how to keep ourselves always in Vrindavan? And you know, that's, that's the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. All our practices are meant for that, really, ultimately. Um, but that's a whole nother talk. Um, I would like to talk about um, another little story of Prabhupada, um, the sweet lamb, um, because he had that um, very compassionate 
and very sweet. Um, when actually that time when Prabhupada really chastised me, myself and Jagatrini, when he came to Hong Kong and our sadhana wasn't strong and we weren't doing very well. Um, I could give you a whole list of my excuses, but I won't bother. I just, because Prabhupada wouldn't accept any of them. <laughs> and he was so strong. And, um, and then quickly, I, I made some kind of a change in my mood, and I surrendered. But Jagatwini, and I wish she was here to tell you this story, because she tells it with full openness, and, um, and, it, and it has much more effect. But after near the end of Prabhupada's stay, um, I was in his room, um, and he asked how is Tugtuni doing? And I said, not very well. She was outside the door um, where, of his room, but she wouldn't even come in. I said, not very well. So he said, call her in. So I brought her in. She was out by the door. And he just stood in front of her. And he just went like this. And he took off one of the rings from his finger. Gave it to her. That's that's Prabhupada also. And, um, yeah, very, very, very sweet. And very concerned because she had, she had really surrendered and given, given everything to, to Prabhupada. She was an actress and she had done something so radical. I was in Japan and um, and then uh, we, we were asked to op I was asked to open up the temple in Hong Kong. And um, so and this, this is, is Khan 1970. She had come from Australia to um, Los Angeles on her way to England to, there was the opening of a movie that she had made with Mick Jagger. And she was on the way there and she was stopping in Los Angeles for a few days. And then and Upendra Prabhu had given her a, a pen very intelligently to give to Prabhupada, who was in Los Angeles. So she had the pen and she, she decided she should give it to Prabhupada, so she went to the temple. So, and then, and then she went on, um, she decided to go on Sankirtan. Sankirtan in those days meant chanting Hare Krishna in the streets. It was a very long time ago. <laughs> and um, so Vishnu John, who was, who was very special, Kirtaniya, he was leading the Kirtan, um, 75 devotees on Hollywood Boulevard, not two or three lone devotees in the street, but 75 devotees chanting and dancing, everyone really ecstatic, and she, she just started crying and crying and crying, and she, she decided that she wanted to move into the temple, just like that. And she had gone to give Prabhupada the pen. 
And um, so after six months, her visa was running out. This again is ISKCON 1970. So they thought, what are we going to do with her? Her visa is running out. Oh, there's this person in Hong Kong <laughs> who was supposed to get married. He can marry, she can marry him. So, <laughs> so the day that she came, anyway, this is an, another whole story, but, <laughs> but uh, you can imagine the day that she came. Um, we were married, the first day we met each other. And um, <laughs> you can imagine there are many stories attached to this story. <laughs> but, um, and then we, we struggled in, this, in Hong Kong for many, many years. And then Prabhupada came and we weren't doing very well and he, he really chastised us so heavily. And he never let on that it was difficult. We were in a difficult circumstance. He just was so strong. And then, and then everything was rectified. But, um, but that, that really struck me that he, you know, we, when I thought about it years and years later, I thought Prabhupada didn't say, oh, I understand the situation is difficult. He didn't come in in a grandfatherly mood. You know, I can understand it's difficult, but you really have to come up to the standard or something like that. No, he just came in like a lion. And I never could quite understand it. Well, I could at that time, because I didn't question anything. But then, years later, I was wondering why Prabhupada acted just like that. And I, I understood some of the reasons. But then one day I was in a, a Bhagavatam class in Mayapur during the festival and His Holiness Subhag Maharaj was giving the class and he was telling a story and I happened to be there standing in the back and, um, and he was telling this story that one day he was with massaging, he was with Prabhupada in his room in London and suddenly, a tear came down from Prabhupada's eye. Just not saying anything. I should tell a different story. And Prabhupada, um, so he asked Prabhupada, Prabhupada, what are you thinking that you like that? And he said, I'm thinking of my two disciples in Hong Kong and how difficult it is. <laughs> but he didn't let me know <laughs> what he wanted to chastise me. So this has to do with depth and inspiration from Krishna. You know, am I the one to say that Prabhupada um, why didn't he, he should have done it like this, he should have done it like that, he should have done it like this. You know, there's, he's the one with the depth. He's the one inspired by Krishna. So, um, so Prabhupada off the Vyasasana was 
sometimes very strong and sometimes like a lamb and sometimes like the most affectionate grandfather, father. And as, um, and as Maharaj said, he was a general with the softest heart. Okay, um, what can I say after that one? So, any questions? Whoops. Yes, I know there are questions out there, so we'll just wait. And as long as there are honest, sincere questions, we'll try our best to answer them. Yes, ma'am. All right. I have two questions. Thank you for sharing <clears throat> these amazing insights for us. Um, that helps so much to appreciate the uh, multiplicity of Prabhupada and the single thread uh, of his character. The first question, I hope, doesn't embarrass you, but I'm wondering which side would you have been on in the controversy that came toward the end of Prabhupada's life? He was in Vrindavan and he said, I want to do Govardhan Parikrama. You know that whole story. Yes. <laughs> Can I ask that? Is yeah, that I'm, I'm really clear about that one. Okay. Yeah, no question about it. How could the Prabhupada wanted something? He wanted to go on Govanam Prakrama and possibly even wanted to leave his body going on Govanam Prakrama, going to Govanam. But how could the devotees um, let him do it? It's a matter of, of love. Um, the closest thing to an example of that I, I can think of is that when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, wanted to go to Vrindavan, the devotees in Jagannath Puri, they were just making excuses one after the next, you know, just wait till Ram Nomi, then wait till this, and then wait till that, and wait till this, and wait till that, and this. And, and, um, and, and finally, Mahaprabhu said, enough. I want to go. And they said, you are the supreme independent personality of Godhead. You are independent, can do anything that you like, of course, like that. So when we think about love, especially in the contemporary world, we think of putting aside one's own self-interest to fulfill the desires of the other. So I take that. And I, and I think, why did they not act in that kind of a loving way with, with Mahaprabhu? And, and, and it's similarly transposed into why, why the devotees couldn't allow Prabhupada to go, is that they just couldn't let him go <laughs> because, because they were just so spontaneously, naturally attracted to him. And it had nothing to do with tattva. It had nothing to do with, you, we have to listen to you and, and please you. It's just the natural outpouring of love from the devotee's heart. So I'm really clear about that. How could, 
and, and there, there are other devotees who felt we have to do it. But I know which side I'm on on that one. How could you let him do it? You know, it may be, it may be yes, he, Govanan, and we love Govanan. <laughs> but how can they let him do it? Is that clear? My side on that one? <laughs> Here it is. No, no, it's good. Um, also, if I may, but don't if you don't want. If you had one question to ask Srila Prabhupada now, <laughs> what would it be? Last night, for the first time in quite a while, I had a dream about Prabhupada. I think it must be by the mercy of you two and all of you. And it was a, it was, it was a interesting and frustrating dream at the same time. But it was mostly sweet, mostly 99% sweet. Is that Prabhupada, I got up really early in the morning and Prabhupada was just alone in his, in his room and he was going to translate. But then I decided I had to do something, so I left. And then by the time I got back, there was many devotees there who wanted to see Prabhupada and ask him all kinds of questions and this and that. And, um, and, and I couldn't, couldn't get past it to, get, to see him. And then finally I said, I'm just going to go and see him. So I went into Prabhupada's room and I was all alone with him and he recognized me <laughs> and he said to me, um, have you gotten enough to eat? <laughs> and, I was, and I said, and then I had to leave. And and I was trying to think, there must be some very deep meaning in this. <laughs> I mean, this was after I woke up. It was so nice just to be in Prabhupada's presence. It was one of those dreams when Prabhupada was sort of, Prabhupada sometimes uh, dreams were Prabhupada's, not quite Prabhupada, but this was, he was really Prabhupada, and it was really wonderful to be in his presence. But I was thinking, what, what's the meaning of this? Should I be careful, more careful of my diet? Or, or does it mean spiritual nourishment? Am I getting enough chanting and hearing? And, and then my final thought was, what, what did I want to be in his presence for? Did I have anything deep to ask him? Something from the bottom of my heart? So that, and then you asked that question. What question would I ask him? And um, this morning I was thinking, what question would I ask Prabhupada? And, um, and it really comes to the one that I, it comes to two questions. One is the question that I, that I know that is the best question to ask theoretically. And that's how can I serve you? But there's another question is what can I do? Um, what's my next step to advance towards um, in, in, in the quest for love for 
C.C. Radha and Krishna. And the two are so connected in one sense, those, those questions are so connected. Um, yes, so I, had, so I gave you two instead of one, but I would ask both. <laughs> you would ask, what was the first? How could I serve you? Okay. And the second is, what's, the, what's my next step for advancement and to become an actual devotee? Yeah. Do you want to add anything or ask anything? I don't think I'd be able to ask one question. I have too many. Um, but if I had to ask one, one thought comes to me. It's similar to what you're saying, but maybe more fundamental, is what I'm doing pleasing to you? Am I, am I properly situated and I'm doing the right thing? So it's, it's another way of asking the same question, should I be doing something else? Can I ask you a question about that question? Yes. Um, since you can't personally go to Prabhupada and ask him that question, how do you find out if, that que if what you're doing is pleasing to Prabhupada? How do you deal with that? that the absence of, mm -hmm. of Srila Prabhupada's personal presence to ask him? Basically, I have to take into consideration everything Prabhupada said, as much as I know that he said that could give me the answer. That's one. In other words, am I properly situated based on Everything you've taught is is this my is this my dharma? Is this is this the best way I can serve? Because I've served many ways and I could do many things. Is this the best way I can serve? So I'm working off that. You should serve according to your inspiration, according to your nature. And I have reasons to say yes based on experience. And I, I think I have reasons to say yes based on what Prabhupada said. I get feedback from devotees. Is it helpful? Is it not? And I have to take that as Prabhupada speaking through them. Uh, Krishna Shetra Maharaj and I, no, Bhajabihari and I were he, he brought you hard, did an exercise. It was, I think, how did, you, how did you feel? What was the question he asked? How did you... Anyone remember that question? Brajabihari asked us. How did you feel? And I said... Um, My experience was extremely blissful, and then I, and he, no, he said, how did you feel? I was joking. He said, lots of anxiety <laughs> in service, something like that. Um, and he said, what was, what was the anxiety that maybe I'm not doing the right service? Be um, and 
I've just had to work that out in my life. Like, you know, is this a better service to do because there's more need for it, but I'm not so good at it and it's not my nature and someone can do it better. And if I try it after two years, I'll give it up anyway. So, you know, through that process. And so I found that teaching was what I was probably best at and most steady at and most inspired to do. And so then I took Prabhupada's teaching and said, okay, that's probably what he wants me to do. After being Sankirtan leader, book distributor, temple president several times, and doing other menial services. And then I also thought, well, what is the best contribution I could make? So then I took all that in and I said, this seems like the best contribution. And then everything Prabhupada said seems to confirm that this is, you're inspired. It helps the devotees, etc. That was my thought process. But there's always this, you know, obviously this little, well, you know, the movement needs this and that. I have to quiet that voice. It's not, I don't think it's a valid voice, but I think it was implanted in 1970. <laughs> you know, it's just like, do whatever, you know. Do because somebody has to do it. Right? Do the needful. Do the needful. That's my thought process. Because you're, you're, you're doing something um, so extraordinary and so not 1970. How do you... How what do am you, I doing? <laughs> uh, well, you're doing something so wonderful. Um, you told me about one of the books that you're writing about Prabhupada and the Bhagavad Gita, and you're a member of the PhD club. And if you're not a member of the PhD club, you can't write such a book in, for, for academia. And you have a voice in academia. Mm -hmm. And and plus other your other preaching, you're doing such important service that I remember when Ravindra Sarupabu was, um, he was temple president and Prabhupada told him to go for his PhD. And he said, um, anyone could be temple president, but you could, only you could do this. So how do you deal with the pressures of um, of life and and um, yeah how do you how do you confirm that what you're doing is pleasing? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, little history has to be there. Um, I was, I became involved in uh, producing, the GBC wanted a new deity worship manual, and so a committee was formed, and they put me as the chairperson just because I was the only person who would kind of do that sort of thing, and uh, we We were consulting uh, His Holiness Banu Swami, who had studied Sanskrit, apparently self-taught, self essentially. Uh, and so we were very much depending on his knowledge of Sanskrit. And during that time, I was feeling um, 
little frustrated that we needed to depend on him for every little thing about Sanskrit uh, and feeling some wanting to learn myself, but how to do it. And we'd been told, I think we maybe you heard this one also, don't even think about learning Sanskrit. It takes 12 years just to learn basic grammar. So we were told basically, forget it. Just forget it. And then we started seeing devotees who were learning Sanskrit and thinking. <laughs> anyway, long story short, Vridayananda uh, Maharaj was encouraging me, but he was saying, why don't you go back to school? You can study Sanskrit in Western universities. And in this way, you'll get, uh, you know, the, you'll, you'll get Sanskrit, but you'll also get the... <laughs> the pieces of paper <coughs> with the stamps. <laughs> so, uh, but the kind of tipping point came, because I was thinking about this, the tipping point came when uh, I met the late His Holiness Tamal Krishna Goswami, and we were talking about this. And... Uh, how much of this should I tell? Any, I said, well, they, they're saying that I should um, somehow be involved in developing a university in Mayapur. Prabhupada wanted a university. You should be involved. And, um, and so I was raising the issue, but what can I do if I don't have any academic qualifications? I had started university, but I dropped out, you know, and became a Hare Krishna. <laughs> and so, um, they're saying, in Mayapur, they're saying, uh, you don't need any academic qualifications. We'll engage retired professors, Indian professors. Uh, and when I said that, Tamal Krishnamar slammed his fist on the table and said, that's what's wrong with the management in Mayapur. They're still thinking like hippies. <laughs> yes, you should go. You know, he said it very firmly. And I took that as being, he was being like an instrument of Prabhupada. I, I felt like that. And then very soon after that, he went into the university, and then he started call. <laughs> he would call me <laughs> on the phone. He was in uh, he was in Dallas. I was in Santa Barbara. And he he wanted to compare notes. What's going on with you? What's your experience? And so we had regular contact for the next some years on this. So I felt like that, but there was another interesting, before I went back into the university, I asked a few devotees what they thought. One of the devotees I asked was Jai Beta Swami, and his response was, why would you want to do that? What's the point of that? So that was kind of discouraging. 
And but I always kept it in mind as a kind of uh, caution. You know, for me it was a caution that. So then, because that's an interesting question. Why would you want to do that? Yeah, why would you want to do that? And I didn't, at that time, I didn't have a very clear answer. <laughs> I had, you know, those reasons I explained, but it was like, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, it was not very. But then, um, fast forward eight years, <laughs> I, I had to jump through several academic hoops, and uh, I had my, finally I had my, dissertation in my hand about deity worship. <laughs> and uh, I sent a copy to Jayabeta Maharaj. And some days later, uh, he sent me a message, and he said, it was good. <laughs> it was a page turner. Wow. And that's really the best compliment I could ever hope to get from Jayadeta Maharaj of something that I've written. <laughs> he said, it was a page turn. <laughs> ah, I did it. <laughs> so the point is, I've, I've felt always support of, uh, of God's siblings, and that's what's carried, carried me along. And then there's been, you can say, various in indications from from the academic world that I felt also, yes, this, this is what I sh should be doing. Um, well, if you don't mind, I can give one example of that. Uh, the book which I've published uh, beginning of 2020 is, yeah, it's an academic book, but it's about um, cow protection. <laughs> But it has a nice academic dry title. <laughs> Cow care in Hindu animal ethics. <laughs> but how I came to write that is that uh, this scholar in Oxford, one very sweet man who's deeply, deeply concerned about uh, animal, animal ethics, animal protection, has an institute, I got a little involved in that, and uh, we would chat sometimes, and he would say, uh, I have this book series I'm editing about animal ethics, why don't you write a book on Hinduism and animal ethics? And I would say, hmm, yeah, hmm, maybe, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> Somehow Hinduism and but he asked me once, he asked me a year later, he asked me a year after that. Meanwhile, he had told me about someone else doing kind of in that direction, a similar uh, work, and I thought, well, but she's doing something. Anyway, a third time he said, can't you write a, a book on Hinduism and animal ethics? He said, I want you to do this because you are a practitioner. And when he said that, I heard Prav, I just felt Prabhupada was standing there and saying, so what do you want? You know, you're being offered a, a silver plate, you know, an opportunity uh, like this. 
So that was that was for me mm. a clear indication. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Um, any other questions? Should we end at nine? More or less. Okay. Depending on how hungry everyone is. We already know they're hungry, but how hungry they are for kata also we have to balance both. <laughs> okay. Hare Krishna, thank you for sharing this wonderful insight. Uh, my question, based on your relationship with Srila Prabhupada and your experiences, how would you, how would you say Prabhupada would see um, his grandchildren and the direction Iskon is heading now? Would he be satisfied or would he, what would be his maybe concern or something? Um, what his concern would be is easier for me to answer. And that's, if, if you ever look at um, sociology of religion, um, Max Weber, then you understand what the concern will always be of the founder Acharya, that the essence will be lost. Because there's a difference between what happens when it's a small group as, or a sect, could get it, but um, but the point that the essence, the fire, shouldn't be lost in the in the quest to make it broad-based. That the essence shouldn't be lost. The the the, the, the standard shouldn't be lost, and yet it has to become broad-based. And soon as it's broad-based, there's going to be different shades of, of um, practitioners. So that's a, stand, a standard, and I think ISKCON certainly isn't alone in this type of a, um, dichotomy. I think it's, it's what happens when a, uh, a small group headed by a charismatic leader turns is successful because every church, meaning broad-based uh, religious movement, begins as a sect, a small religious movement headed by a charismatic leader. So that would be the concern part. Um, what would he think about it? I think he would... The grants. The grandchildren, oh, yeah, grand, thank you. Grandchildren, I think he would just show them love and affection and let the parents do the hard work of bringing them up. That's what grandchildren, grandparents do. <laughs> so full of mercy. I see myself more in a role of grandparent nowadays and oh, they're so nice and they're so good and everything, just encourage them. And, and, then, they, and then the people who actually caring for the devotees, they say, but they're like this, and like this, and like this, and like this, and I, don't worry, they're so nice, just... <laughs> would, would you say, the vision I'm getting from that question is, Prabhupada would come and completely inspire everybody, as he always did, but he would deal with the leaders, and if there were deviations, he would be hard on the leaders, but the general devotees, he would just be 
Is that kind of what you're saying? Just well, that's in the big, in the very beginning of the movement. In the very beginning of the movement, he Prabhupada preached to. He was the preacher to the people who weren't devotees. That was 1966 in New York, and then expanding out into San Francisco. But after that point, he didn't preach to the people who weren't devotees. He just preached to the leaders and the devotees. And I saw, even in 1976, my impression in Mayapur, um, his mood changed, e even at that point, um, up to the point of 76 in Mayapur, means 74, 75, and then 76 from the lectures I've heard. I wasn't present in each of those years. But um, in 74 and 75, when the festivals, the international festivals began, he was talking about preaching and, and um, how the, the non-devotees are like this and the non-devotees are like that. But in seven, by 76, he, he began talking to, preaching to the devotees how they had to come up in their standard. Yeah, so, so I think he would... Um, and and I, I, I watched him on some sensitive issues over the years. And um, he, he really wanted the center, the center to be, to be quite strict. But, um, and that would be his concerns. But, but the expanded um, movement, he also wanted that. I don't know if I responded to what you said in response to that question, but <laughs> it's just a comment. So did you want to? Well, I, I always get the vision that if anyone's trying to serve Krishna, Prabhupada's happy and encouraging, no matter how much they're he said that. falling my, short. My philosophy is if I see a spark, I want to fan it. Yeah. So that was, in my experience, as a rank and file, that's what I felt. You know, Prabhupada comes, he's very kind, very encouraging, gives class, etc. And then we hear the stories up in his room with Jamal Krishnamaraj, and you know, he's correcting the leaders, yes. you know. Um, why have you, you allowed this to happen and so forth? Not kind of bringing in the, the mass of devotees on that level. Yes, yeah. I, I think that's correct. But I also heard him say, and this was again quite a private, there was only three of us in the room, and Prabhupada in, in, in Melbourne in 1975, he had just gotten up after his afternoon nap, um, and he walked over to, to his seat, and it was just Tusta Krishnamaraj, Zaktani and myself there, and he said, they write me these letters. My dear Srila Prabhupada, I am the most fallen. I am useless. I have no qualifications. I am so insignificant. And I have a big problem. <laughs> and then he said, he didn't say anything. And it, it, I had to really, I had to think about it a while to see what he was saying. And then he said, um, I, 
and what my conclusion was, how could someone who's insignificant, useless, and so small have a big problem? You could only have an insignificant problem <laughs> if you're insignificant. Um, but then he said, he didn't give the purport, and then he said, I wish I could train all my disciples personally, but what can I do? <clears throat> so Krishna had given him a responsibility and a service to establish the Krishna consciousness movement all over the world and perhaps save the universe. And what could he do? He was surrendered upward. But yet he saw the lack in giving the personal attention to the devotees and training them. And, and, I, and I see that um, two, two sides of that is one is that to be very close to the fire, you have to be very much like fire. Otherwise, you can't handle the heat. You don't belong so close. And um, so if he were to train all the disciples personally and bring them up to the highest standard, um, many of them wouldn't have been able to to take that. So he trained the leaders and wanted them to train the the um, everyone else. And on the other side, I think we all I don't want to we all um, would have benefited from Prabhupada's personal association and training. I have a, an interesting story that yep. follows what you're saying. <clears throat> there was an article in the Harmonist or Avodya Math publication about problems in the mod, deviations in the mod, and how it needs to be corrected. So when the, the Gaudiya Math devotees read this article, they was like, who has the audacity to say all these things, and why are they criticizing us, and so on and so forth. And later they found it was Bhakti Siddhanta's article, but he asked them to put another name. <laughs> So it's interesting. Sometimes I think I get a you know I get a little earphone in my ear. I'll have my phone and I'll put it on slow and I'll give a lecture and I'll just be repeating Prabhupada. You know, and someone's going to criticize me for what I said. So that's a reality. Interesting reality. Have you actually done that? Something. No, but I think dear Krishna Maharaj did it once. <laughs> Should I? Should I try it? Well, I'll pick the right temple that I know they'll criticize me in. <laughs> oh, I'll go to the Bangalore on the hill. Can I give a class? And I'll give Prophet's class, but they'll criticize me because uh. I initiated. So. <laughs> Look what he's saying. You have to surrender to a guru. <laughs> anyway. That would be fun. Yeah. We'll make a secret cameras, you know, go viral. Yeah. Start working on it today. Why don't we So if you want to take the Sadam. Yeah. Nitai go primanandi harira. Bolo giraj marajaki. Bolo giraj marajaki. Bolo giraj marajaki.